Okay, good evening. I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to uh, open up God's Word, God's very Word to us, to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, uh, you can turn there. We're looking at the first five verses. Let me read that uh, for us. Matthew 5, uh, 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Many things come and go, but your word stands forever. And so give us ears that are attentive to it and hearts that are receptive to the good news that you have for us today. And uh, may we be changed. May we be brought to repentance and given comfort and hope in light of who your son is, this gift that you have given us, sending him into the world, dying for our sins, to set us free from sin and death and this dark world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We've been in uh, a series on uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular, we've been looking at the idea of discipleship, about being a, a follower of Jesus or a student of Jesus. Uh, I really like the word apprentice, because apprentice has that idea of not just receiving instruction, but to actually begin to inhabit the, the character of the master. and to learn to do the things that the master is doing. That's really the idea of discipleship. Um, we've been saying there are sort of three components, three things that are involved with being a disciple. Uh, and so I'd love for you to repeat these back to me uh, as we've done the last few weeks. So discipleship with Jesus involves first being with Jesus. And secondly, developing the character of Jesus. And finally, joining Jesus in the works he is doing. So that's what we're looking at uh, when we think about discipleship. And uh, I mentioned, again, I'm going to keep bringing this up, this tension I've always felt between two of the sayings of Jesus about discipleship. Remember in Matthew, um, Jesus says this radical thing, take up your cross and follow me. Right? This radical self-denial. If you want your life, you have to lose your life, he says. A radical, a severe call to discipleship. And yet, in Matthew 11, he also says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, my yoke, my, my teaching, the way of life I'm 
giving you is easy and my burden is light. And these things have always struck me as at odds. How is it that we're called to, to lose our life, to follow Jesus to the point of death even, and yet he says, come on, follow me, my way is easy. You know, this is light for you. And I, I said uh, in the past that the only way I can reconcile these is if we think about you know, being a part of a really dysfunctional family system or maybe workplace environment, a, a network of relationships where we just, we keep falling into these same unhealthy patterns of relating and it's constant conflict or frustration or, you know, tension. And, and we just, every time we're around these people, we fall into it again. And it seems like the relationships are just always going to be tense with walls up. And, and then we, we get some help and we learn a new way to relate to those people. And we start breaking with those patterns of relating and it's like this new life you know comes into us and we're just we feel more free and light and it's like wow this is amazing I don't have to keep relating in that same way and it's wonderful it's life-giving yet at the same time that that group of relationships starts sort of punishing you you know for for changing the game right and and they maybe start blaming you or say you're the problem and, it, and it, there's a death there there's a pain right and I think that's essentially what Jesus is talking about here is to become a disciple is to embrace this way of life that is that is freedom and is joy and is life-giving and is restful. And yet, as we begin to follow him, that requires us to say no to some things and to die to some things. And it, it, it will cause pain. And others may, you know, uh, be angry with us for uh, this new way of life. And so um, that's the, the kind of backdrop of everything that we're going to be looking at as we turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a very famous part of scripture. I know you've probably read parts of it before. You've definitely heard it before. But it begins with, uh, with Jesus you know, going up on a mountain and sort of sitting down and opening his mouth. And this is very much reminiscent of Moses, right? Moses went up on the mountain and delivered the law to Israel and he formed this new people. But now Jesus, who Matthew's been telling us is the real Israel, the true Israel, He's been living out Israel's history faithfully, and not only is he the real Israel, but he's the real king, the one that Israel was waiting for. All the promises of God are coming true in this person. So this new ruler, he comes to this mountain, and he's, he makes a new covenant, and he's forming a new people, and he's delivering this law. But I want you to understand that the Beatitudes, this first part of the sermon, is not, um, is not actually law as we typically think about it. You know, I've read this for years, and I've often thought about these things as things that I was supposed to, you know, be. And it's, it's here are the rules, you know, be a poor in spirit, be meek, be a mourner. And, um, and that's not the first way we need to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually pronouncing the blessing of his kingdom. He, he is coming saying, I have good news for you. This is the happy life. This is the type of person on whom the fortune of God rests. And I want you to, to hear that and be encouraged and to enter into the life that I'm offering and the blessing. That's how the Beatitudes start. They, they start with this word blessed, which really just means happy or um, not like I feel happy, but um, the, the good life, the fortunate one, are these people. And he begins to name who they are. And so first, the Beatitudes are an announcement of good news. If you're one of these people, Jesus is saying, the, the blessing of God is on you. It may not look like that in this world, but God's blessing rests upon you. You are favored. You are the one who's going to experience the joy of God. And because he pronounces that good news, 
it then also becomes a summons for all of us to move towards those sorts of people and to become that type of person. So this is primarily an announcement of good news and then secondarily a summons. The world is in bondage. It's a dark place. Good news. The king has come. The blessing of God has come on these sorts of people. Now enter into that. Now, I want to say, um, as you probably know, Christianity is really hard to get your mind around. It's really hard to to uh, get a good grasp of it. Whether you're new to Christianity or you are still figuring it out or you've been a Christian a while, you, like me, know that it often slips away and you gotta, wait, what is this all about again? How does this work? It's very easy to miss and to lose sight of what God's kingdom is like and what discipleship looks like. And the reason for that is that the kingdom of Jesus is coming into a world that's ordered a certain way, and as Matthew has told us, it's a dark place, it's a broken place, it's where death reigns and sin is rampant, and the kingdom of Jesus flips everything upside down. And so it's not natural for us. It's very foreign. I used to play this video game when I was in high school um, called... uh, GoldenEye. Any, any of you guys play GoldenEye, the James Bond movie? One of the greatest uh, video games. And I really love, we, me and my friends played it a lot. And you, you had a little joystick and you run around, you're James Bond, and you would shoot the Bond villains. It was a great game. And I played it a lot. And then a couple years uh, down the road, uh, I started, I got introduced to this other game. Uh, I think it was Halo. I may be getting this mixed up, but it's a different game. Halo, same idea, first-person shooter. But I remember when I first started playing and I started moving the controls, it was all messed up. You know, in, in Bond, if I pushed the joystick down, I would look up, and if I hit the up, it would look down, and uh, you would move a certain way around the map based on the left and right. But when I played Halo and I started using the controls, it was not working that way. It was very frustrating because I felt pretty competent at, at GoldenEye, and then I was trying to navigate in Halo, and I was just, I couldn't move around the board, right? It was so unnatural, and I had to relearn the way to move around the board. And the kingdom of Jesus is sort of like that. It, uh, you know, we've got instincts that are deep and that run a certain way about how to live in this world, and, and Jesus invites us to flip that upside down and to learn a whole new way of, of life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today and for the next couple weeks, and I want you to hear this as good news It's good news for you. King Jesus has come to bless. Really, the best way to summarize today, the three Beatitudes, is the humble. He has come to bless the humble. And so if you're you're that person, good news for you. And if you're not that person, you need to know where you need to move and go because Jesus invites you into it as well. And so if you're going to be a disciple, you've got to develop this character that he uh, outlines here. So announcement, summons. Let's look at these three things. First, the meager. The meager. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is where becoming a disciple, discipleship starts. Uh, There's a reason why this is first, because this is fundamental to becoming a Christian and remaining a Christian. Um, It's the entry point. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I've I've kind of labeled this uh, so that everything starts with an M today, the meager, right? And also because we don't like to be meager people. Nobody wants to be meager. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. We've got to be poor in spirit. We have to be lacking in quality and content. We have to be empty. And and I think he means that in two ways. In one way, we have to be the sort of people that the world doesn't find impressive. Impressive. 
right? There's a way that this world works, and Jesus is saying, if you want to be in my kingdom, you have to be the sort of person that this world doesn't praise and think is wonderful because my kingdom is upside down, right? So I was with some pastors yesterday, and we were talking about this verse, and one of them talked about how um, we, we uh, in America, we love to have a middle-class spirit. You know what I mean by that? Like, um, well, I don't, I don't have a lot, you know, I don't, I'm not a, I don't have as much as those people, but, but I've got a little more than those people, right? right? I'm in the middle. I'm, uh, I'm not as rich as some people, but I'm not as poor as others. We, we're in the middle, right? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is saying we're to have a, a poverty of spirit. We're to see ourselves as lacking all the necessary resources to be impressive people. And in particular, in the second sense, and maybe more fundamental sense, we're to be people that before God see that we have absolutely no claim, no basis for boasting, nothing to stand on or to commend ourselves to him. Think of that story Jesus told about the two men that went to the temple, the tax collector and the Pharisee in, in uh, Luke chapter 18. And the Pharisee prays, oh Lord, thank you that I am not like those sinners over there. You know, I'm a good guy and not like those guys. And, oh, I'm so glad I'm not as bad as them. And, and then the tax collector, a, a person who was not looked on favorably by the Jewish people, a traitor, a, a, a thief in one sense, and he beats his breast and he says, Lord God, have mercy on me, a, a sinner. He's not focused on the sin of anybody else. He sees in himself just a poverty. He has nothing to commend himself to God. He is empty. He is lacking. And so he has this utter dependence upon the grace of God. He is absent of all pride or self-assurance or self-reliance. And that is who Jesus says has the blessing of his kingdom. Good news for you who are poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. The kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, which is present in Jesus' day, it's present now, and someday will be finally culminated at the return of Jesus. That kingdom, the one that goes on forever and ever, where the world will be renewed and we will live with God and one another in peace, that kingdom is for those who realize they have zero, nothing to stand on before God. They're totally dependent upon his grace and mercy. The meager regarding our standing before God and in the eyes of the world, those who are not celebrated, those people have God's blessing. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean we don't have any good qualities or that we're the absolute worst person we could possibly be. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in terms of our merit before God. We have nothing. So you don't have to think of yourself as a worm. God's given you many good things. You have many good qualities. That's fine, but they just have nothing to do with God accepting you. Now, this is hard for us to receive because this is upside down. This is not the way we normally work. We are in the business of exalting ourselves, of justifying ourselves, right? If you've been in church a long time, then you are likely to be tempted to think about God accepting you based on how well you perform according to his law. You may, may sort of drift into this mindset that I'm going to be received by God because I've been a good person. 
and you look down on other people that you know you obey better than they do, and, and like the Pharisee, you say, thank God I'm not as bad as they are. That's the tendency of the human heart, especially if you've been in church. But you know, you can be a secular person and have that same spirit. We see it today in all the people sort of um, seeking justice, whatever version of that is in their mind, seeking justice in the, in the world. You know, they want to see themselves being on the right side of history, and they look down at those people who are the bad people. They're the reason the world's, you know, uh, just messed up. And uh, they, they're constantly exalting themselves over other people. This is deep in the human heart. But Christianity says we have to come to God with absolutely no claim. We've got nothing to commend ourselves to God at all. That's poverty of spirit. And friends, even though Jesus wasn't a sinner, he had this humility about him. Even though he was rich, even though he was righteous, he came into the world and he lived this perfect life in total dependence on God, never acting outside of God's power in his life. And he took the low place and he served others. And the life that he lived was not viewed as impressive by the world around him. Nobody thought, wow, this guy's so impressive as the Roman world or as the Pharisees saw it. He was viewed as a failure and he gave his life. He gave everything he had so that you and I could receive a kingdom. And so if you want that kingdom, then you have to be a beggar. You have to be a meager person. If you want that kingdom, that life that is freely offered, then you have to live with this arms up, help me God. Show me mercy. I've got nothing. I could never get there apart from your grace. Disciples of Jesus develop that character, that poverty of spirit. They learn to confess their sins and repent and forsake their old ways. And they do not aim to be impressive as the world understands being impressive. And they boast Yes, but in the opposite things that everybody naturally boasts in. They boast in their weakness so that the grace of God can shine even more clearly to those around them. And they regularly rehearse their dependence on God in all of life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but also the mourners. Blessed are the mourners, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This one's always been hard for me to get my uh, head around, but I think what Jesus is getting at is that there are those who grieve the intolerable and incomprehensible situation of brokenness in which we find this world, this sinful world. And they grieve over that. And as they grieve in the just absolute brokenness of this world, they also recognize that they contribute their own part to the brokenness of the world. There is a deep sorrow at how messed up the world is and also a deeper sorrow in their own sinfulness, right? Um, it, these are the people that usually get run over by the world. They feel that the system doesn't work. No matter how hard they try, it crushes them, it pushes against them, and yet they see that they're playing their own part in that. And they cry out for God to bring renewal. They want justice and yet they also repent. When we adopted um, our third son, Oliver, uh, we went to China, and uh, part of our time there, we were taken to an orphanage where uh, many other children with uh, pretty severe challenges um, were, were living in this building in the middle of this huge city with millions of people. And 
it was like going into a prison. It was sort of in lockdown, and they had like one floor in this, I don't know, 16-story building, and sort of this open courtyard-like part of the building with big windows where they could get some light, but I mean, their lives were basically locked onto this floor, and um, yeah, I just remember being overwhelmed at how messed up this world is. And I wept, and um, I do that up here sometimes, but normally I don't just you know, break out into tears in the middle of life, and it caught me off guard, and I, just, I was so uh, broken by how screwed up things were, and also deeply reminded of the ways that I contribute to the brokenness of the world all the time. And I think that is a glimpse of what Jesus is getting at here. You know, Jesus tells us to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of the eye of our brother. Because he wants us to be first and foremost concerned with our own contribution to this world's brokenness. And to mourn over that and to repent as we grieve the brokenness of the world as a whole. And it's to those people that Jesus pronounces the good news that they will be comforted. Now, what is the comfort of God? What does he mean by that? He doesn't just mean he comes over and pats you on the back. There, there, it'll be okay. It means that God brings his forgiveness to those who are broken over their sin. And he does wipe their tears. He does console them, and he replaces it with the joy of his kingdom and with the gift of God himself. Because he's saying, you get to enter into this renewed world where all the sad things will come untrue. Mourners grieve the brokenness of the world and they repent of their sin. And friends, this too is completely upside down from the way we normally work. Because the way we typically work when we see problems in the world is we either deny them or we blame them on other people. Some people approach life and they've done pretty well and they live pretty well and anytime anything broken gets mentioned or they face anything, that's, they just say, oh, well, if people would just live the way they're supposed to, if people would just work harder, this stuff wouldn't happen to them. The world's not that broken. It's actually pretty good. And if you've got problems, it's because you're not getting your butt in gear. They're denying the brokenness of this world. And others... They hate that. They say, no, this world is messed up. I don't care how hard I try or other people try. People suffer, and it's not their fault, and the world is broken, and they get angry about it, and they rail against it, and they're going to tear it all down and build it up anew because if they were in charge, the world wouldn't be a messed up place. And that's blaming others. Neither one of those are mourning. They're not where Jesus' blessing resides because they're railing or they're denying. They're not ever owning their own part. Now, Jesus, even though he did not sin, he actually lived this perfect life of love. He didn't just sit back and rail and condemn and judge the broken world. He entered into the brokenness of the world, and he moved towards the brokenhearted and those who are grieving. And he did rail against injustice, but he didn't do it to condemn it, but to invite people to life and to bring them near to God and to comfort them and to forgive them and to console their grief. And so if we want that Jesus, then we have to be repenters. We have to repent and long for the restoration of God, praying, come, Lord Jesus, make all things new. I was uh, 
preaching this morning, and before I got to preach, someone shared about this little conflict they had where they were at a basketball game and they were cheering for their daughter and someone got mad and said, well, quit yelling so much or whatever. And the person kind of missed what, um, this person at the game missed what the person at church this morning was doing and got really mad and kind of started this conflict and, and then stormed off. And so this guy that was at church this morning just said that uh, his wife encouraged him to go repent. And, and he just thought about it and, and said, that, late, that lady was kind of being ridiculous but I, I can own the part that I played in that. And so he went and found her and he apologized and, and then she apologized, it was just a beautiful thing. And I just, it struck me how I, I, I will repent if I know I'm like, I'm the main problem here, but it's hard for me to repent when I feel like the other person's not owning what they've done and I, and I just need to repent of whatever part I played in that. But those who mourn, are people who say, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna own all I can of what I've contributed to this broken world and I'm just gonna grieve that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And when we live like that, we, we tend to move toward those who are crushed by the world and by the, the way things work. And we begin to bring comfort to other people and we do try to improve the world, we try to make it better, but ultimately we look to God because we know we're not gonna fix it all, only Jesus can do that. So sure, we, ad we adopt one kid. That's great, but I can't adopt every kid, right? And so we wait on God to fix things, to bring a world where there won't be uh, people without families. Lastly, the meek. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, who are the meek? This is a weird word. Um, we rarely use it. Um, but the meek are, are people who have this attitude of humility that results in not demanding our rights, not, not constantly grasping for more or to get what we think we deserve, but to live with contentment and, and patience and even willing to bear offense against us um, and even to some degree, some injustices. I'm not saying you just become a doormat for people abusing you, but there's a certain willingness to be harmed and not to lash out and to get your way. There's a gentleness in the meek toward other people, right? Not putting themselves first and insisting on their own way and constantly demanding things go a certain way, but in particular towards God, waiting on the Lord. Not trying to control things, but trusting them to God. I was trying to think about who do I know that is meek, and I'm, I'm, I mean, many of you are, um, but I was... I was thinking yesterday that we had presbytery and we met with these uh, Sudanese men who uh, their, their Sudanese church is actually just joined the PCA. It's a beautiful thing. I'd love to tell that story later. But um, these men grew up in Sudan and it's a war-torn country and many of them had to leave Sudan and come here and a lot of them were doctors or lawyers or past, they were professionals. They had great jobs. Their lives were wrecked. Some of them were shot. They come to America. They have very little. They've had to make a life here. They don't get to do the work that they could have done over there. It's a, it's a whole new um, sort of place to live. They're far from home. And yet these men um, are just, they're meek. You know, they're not bitter. They're not demanding a better life. They have this joy and contentment and they are patient with us as a presbytery. It took way too long to bring them into our denomination. But they're just, these are meek men. And I've known... Um, I knew this teacher who worked with troubled teens. And this is a thankless job. Every day, uh, constant disrespect, 
ignored, insulted, definitely inconvenienced, a thankless job. Could have gone and worked anywhere else, probably made a lot more money, and yet was patient with these troubled teenagers and endured that and didn't lash out, just received the dysfunction and, and loved. And that is meekness. And Jesus says it's those people that will inherit everything. And it's so fitting that he promises that there because the meek refuse to grasp. And Jesus says all that you've refuse to grasp and lay hold of in your life will be given to you. You'll be given the whole earth. You've labored patiently. You've waited on the Lord, and I'm going to give it all to you. The blessing of my kingdom is on, is on you. The meek don't demand and grasp, but they are humble and patiently wait and bear offense, and they gently labor in what God calls them to do. And this is also completely upside down and not the way that we typically live because we fight for our rights, don't we? If you're like me and you've been in church a long time, you fight because you're a good person and you deserve some respect and you deserve a certain things to go well and for God to give you things because you've earned it. You're, you're doing the right things. Or maybe you're a secular, secular person and you don't believe in God and you think this is all there is. And because this is all there is, you better fight to get all you can out of this life. It's the only life you get. So live it up. Grab for everything you can. And friends, Christianity calls us to depend on God and to wait on the Lord and to trust in his grace. And Jesus embodied this in his own life as well. Though he lived in joy with all the privileges and honor of heaven, he humbled himself and he came into this world taking the form of a servant and he suffered even to the point of death on the cross. And even before that, like we read just a few weeks ago, Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, he was offered all the kingdoms of the earth. If he would just bypass the cross and worship the devil, he would be given everything, the devil says, and Jesus refused to bypass that suffering and to grasp for the kingdom that would one day be his, and he went through the cross first for you and for me. He did that so we could inherit the earth, and so if we want that Jesus, then we have to be servants. We have to serve those around us and wait on God. That is the character of a disciple of Jesus, meekness. Stop trying to control those around us and constantly get what we think we deserve, but to labor faithfully and to wait on the Lord and to take the place of service with those around us. A lot of you read um, the book Gentle and Lowly, right, that we had free copies of, uh, Dane Ortland, I think. You know, he, he starts his book by pointing to this verse in Matthew 11 where um, it's related to that passage where he says, come to me, all you who are weary. He ends that by saying, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. And Ortland kind of notes that this is like the only place where Jesus sort of speaks and describes his own character and says, this, this is at the core of who I am, this lowliness, this gentleness, and the same word group as, as meekness and humility. At the very core of who Jesus is, is this, is this meekness, this humility. The very Son of God, humbled himself and came near to us and became the meager and the mourner and the meek. And he gave his life. He substituted himself for us. Though he was rich in righteousness, he gave his life for the wicked so that we could be justified before God. Even though he was filled with joy, he moved near those who were mourning over the brokenness of the world so that he could comfort us. 
Even though he has the right to all things, he went to the cross and bore the shame and punishment of it so that we could have an inheritance. Friends, that king is the one who blesses us and says, this is my kingdom. It's for you. I'm giving it to you. I'm coming to comfort you. I'm giving you the entire earth. That is the good news of this passage. If you know that you have nothing in and of yourself to commend yourself to God, and if you know and are brokenhearted about the world and the state of the world and your contribution to it, and if you don't grasp and demand but serve and wait patiently on God, then Jesus says, good news for you. The kingdom belongs to you. And friends, there is absolutely no philosophy or religion or moral system or ideology that is like this. It is one of a kind. It is completely inverted from the way of this world. The way up is down, Jesus says. If you want the character of Jesus, you got to get low. There's a great movie. I'm going to spoil it, but it's really old, so you should have seen it by now. And some of you know Indiana Jones and the Search for the Holy Grail. And at the end of the movie, the Nazis, the epitome of the powers of this world, the ones who want nothing to do with this poverty of spirit and mourning and meekness, they've got a gun on Indiana Jones and they force him to go through these tests to get to this prized holy grail which offers eternal life. And the first test, several people have already tried to go through it, several of the soldiers have been kind of forced to go through and it's kind of misty and you can't see and they kind of walk into this little tunnel and uh, and every time there's some noise and all of a sudden some head rolls out, you know, down the stairs and everyone's like, ooh. And so they're like, fine, we're going to make Indiana Jones go through there. He'll figure this out. And so by gunpoint, he's forced to walk through this tunnel um, and he's thinking, what, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to get to this cup of eternal life? And uh, he, he thinks and he remembers that the kingdom is for the humble. And so at, right at the last moment, he falls on his knees as he's going through this tunnel. And then you see all these kind of blades kind of that have chopped off these other guys' heads go flying over. And so he, he makes it through, you know, the first test. And um, that's, um, in a weird way, kind of the gospel. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that's, that's the kingdom is you got to get low. You got to uh, get down because the blessing of God is on the people down there. And if you're not there already, you've got to go down there and be with them and become one of those and let that shape your character. And friends, that is so good. That is so good. If you see the brokenness of the world around you and, and you just go, this is not working. <laughs> you know, people have been dying for a millennium. It's not working. There is life offered in Jesus, but it's through the humble path. And so as we go to the Lord's table, um, you know, that's, this is a perfect picture of what we're talking about, is the kingdom is in this low, simple place, and you come to this table with nothing. You don't come with a week uh, behind you saying, look at all the good I have done, can I now come to your banquet? If you're doing that, like, don't eat, it will only hurt you, because that's not how this table works. The table reminds us that Christ gave his body and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And... He uh, promises us a kingdom in this meal, and he promises to be with us and to comfort us in our mourning. And so you come to this table saying, I've got nothing. You know, I'm empty. Feed me. Fill me with your promises and the life that you offer. And so um, I'm going to pray and then invite you in a moment um, to come.
Jesus, we thank you um, as, as our master and as this wise man, this wonderful teacher and also the king, that you have revealed to us this strange blessing of your kingdom that is not natural to us uh, and that you tell us the good news today that if we are grieving, if we are empty, if we don't have much, uh, you are with us and the kingdom is for us. May that shape uh, our lives. May, may we become people who, who um, know that we are empty, that grieve our own sin and the sin of the world, that refuse to grasp and demand our rights, but take the place of servants in the world. Uh, help us to become like that by your spirit, especially as we go to this table. Give us your precious promises and renew us in the life that is offered in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.